Soul Food is our Sunday night series, the things you need to know about your Bible, how we got it, how to get the most out of it. The text that sort of has themed these last four or five studies, let me just read it real quick. It's 2 Timothy 3, and I'm looking at 16 and 17, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So the, the way this is shaping up is there's this instrument that God has, the word. It's absolutely unique. It's breathed out by God. That's the instrument that God has to do his work. There's the goal that the man or woman of God may be equipped for every good work. And then there's the process, how this happens. And there are four words that we've been studying. Teaching, we looked at that uh, two Sunday nights ago. Reproof, correction, training in righteousness. So we're looking at reproof, the second step, the way God uses his word to make us into men and women of God, uh, producing good works, full of fruit. So tonight, what embracing reproof will do for you? Reproof is, uh, well, it's, it's the hurt that heals. And the reason we started this subject of reproof last Sunday night, and the reason we're continuing in it is because we don't naturally like reproof. And so we kind of need the emphasis. Our religious culture has kind of infected a lot of us with the idea that because God is love, which he is, it just seems to follow logically. If God is love and loving, then everything he does for us ought to feel good and positive. And reproof, initially at least, doesn't feel positive. Therefore, it maybe can't be good for us. And so I wanted to take one more week on this subject of reproof because if there's anything that the scriptures make clear, it's that reproof is incredibly good for us, overwhelmingly good. And, and the biblical evidence is just so lavish on this subject. It's not one or two little references that I thought, I want to take one more Sunday night in our evening gathering and look at the subject of reproof again, but specifically five life-bestowing benefits of divine reproof in our lives. Five life-bestowing benefits of divine reproof. Let's get right into it. One, heeding reproof stops the progress and damage of sin in our lives. There's an Old Testament account that I want you to look at with me. Get a Bible, 2 Samuel 12, 1 to 7. It's a pretty familiar story, but it illustrates this subject of reproof so beautifully. 2 Samuel 12, verse 1. This is after David sins with Bathsheba. Everybody knows that. And how is God going to confront David with this sin? Because David has been hiding it in his heart. He says that in, in Psalm 53. So here's the process. 2 Samuel 12, 1, and the Lord sent Nathan, Nathan the prophet, to David. So Nathan comes to King David. He came to him and said to him, there were, it tells him this story. There were two men in a certain city, the one rich, the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. 
And he brought it up and grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Wow. Verse 4. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. So David hears this story, verse 5. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Look at this. Must have been quite a moment. Nathan, verse 7, said to David, you're the man. And thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. It's a fascinating account. It's such a human story. Nathan has to expose King David's sin with Bathsheba. That's the goal. But in order for David, the man after God's own heart, in order for David to see his own sin, Nathan has to put David's sin, at least temporarily, in another person's life. And when David sees his own sin, but in the life of someone else, he's enraged by it. Proving, I guess, that we're all somewhat blind to the same sins we hate in others when those sins pop up in our own hearts. But there's a point here. The whole point of Nathan's story is, is this. Even the man after God's own heart, even David, has to be made ready for God's reproof. So, so God sets up Nathan's assignment because God wants David to respond with the same sensitivity to his own sin as he responds to the same sin in someone else. And God uses Nathan's parable to do this. Here's why. God knows. David doesn't see it yet. But God knows nothing good is going to unfold in David's life until he heeds divine reproof for his sin. We've all heard the saying, haven't we? There's no use crying over spilled milk. And there's an element of truth there. Once something's done, it's done. There's no point in wringing your hands over something that no one can change, no one can undo. Just get over it, get on with life. So so why does God go to all the trouble of getting Nathan to confront David with this sin? It's already done. Why bother rooting up the past? I mean, is God just out to rub David's nose in his sin? Is God just trying to make David miserable? Is he just trying to take all the joy out of David's life? Is that the goal? Well, we know better. No, no. He's, he's, he's not trying to take the joy out of David's life. He's trying to put the joy back into David's life. So God has nothing but a 
positive goal in bringing this reproof to to bear on David, to make him sensitive to his sin. The text actually points to that, God's positive goal. It's hinted at indirectly in that seventh verse. 2 Samuel 12, 7, Nathan said to David, you are the man, and thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel. I made you king over Israel. I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. Don't miss the the, the subtle point in those words. This is not God's way of just sort of reminding David who's boss. That's actually not a bad point for all of us to hear freshly from time to time. But there's more going on here than that. God is pointing out the fact that he has a purpose for David. I, I anointed you, delivered you from Saul, made you king. I have put you here for a purpose, but that purpose for your life, David, it's never going to be fulfilled on the rebellious path you're on. You need to hear my reproof. You're heading for disaster. I have more in mind for you than this. Listen to me. So that's point number one. Point number two, reproof opens up our lives to the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit. With all the references to the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts and other places that we cherish so much, let me share with you one of my favorite references to the Holy Spirit in the whole Bible. Look it up. Memorize it. Write it out word for word. Proverbs 1.23. If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. If you turn at my reproof, behold, look at this. Think about this. That's what behold means. I will, I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. It's one of the great, uh, life-giving promises in the whole Bible. I, I just, I know of no other verse that so plainly spotlights the, the sheer blessing of hearing God's reproof. In fact, this verse states, This verse states that ignoring reproof at any one point shuts the door to the gracious influences of the Holy Spirit in all sorts of other areas in my life. While while heeding reproof in one small area, it prepares my whole heart for receiving the blessing of God's word, and God's spirit in all sorts of areas of my life that I'm not even thinking about yet. It's an incredible promise. While he doesn't take time to mention the word reproof specifically, Jesus, he shows the need for it, the same idea in his parable of the four soils, where he says some of the seed landed on the wayside soil, hard, packed down soil, just lay on the surface, in one, of the, in one of the accounts of the parable, Jesus says the birds come and snatch it up. So the soil lands on this hard, unresponsive heart, and it can't penetrate. It can't bear any fruit. Because of that, it never 
germinates. Well, what's needed there? Well, something has to come in there. A plow, something with a sharp edge has to cut into that soil, churn it up again. And, and what, what Jesus is picturing in that parable, while he never uses the word, is exactly the subject of reproof. A soft, repentant, non-stubborn hearing of God's corrective word. If you want roses, you have to plant them. If you want weeds, you don't have to plant anything. If you want weeds, you just never till the soil. But if you want fruit, that soil has to be broken up. Reproof. God plants his spirit in sensitive hearts. Stubbornness quenches the spirit. So, so what we're saying here under this point, turn up my reproof. I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. What we're saying is I must never mistake the pain of God's reproof. Never confuse that with the absence of the Holy Spirit. It's the way the Holy Spirit starts some of his deepest work. Okay, point number three. I said there were five things. Heeding reproof germinates the life-giving power of God's word after it has been studied. You read your Bible, right? You have your daily devotions. We have times like this where we sit and corporately we now study and learn the truths from God's word. How does reproof fit into that? James 1.21. Therefore, put away all filthiness, and rampant wickedness, I always take rampant wickedness to be different from wickedness. Rampant wickedness is wickedness that has become culturally justified, culturally trendy, culturally promoted. Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So as I read God's word, here's what's going to happen. As I read it, it's going to expose things that need uh, cleansing, that need replacing in my life. And James says the only proper way of, of having a fruitful effect of digesting God's word, as opposed to just reading it, is scriptural truth has to be received, he says, with meekness, some translations, humility, meekness and humility. So, so the hindrance to receiving spiritual transformation from the word, it isn't usually ignorance. It can be, but it isn't usually ignorance. Most Christians read the word. It's, it's, a, it's a wickedness, but a particular kind. It's a stubborn kind of wickedness. It's wickedness that is uh, defended justified, even though I know what the word says. It's a, it's a conniving mindset as I read the word. That's what will neuter the life-giving power of God's word. So heeding scriptural reproof, hearing it humbly, repentantly, meekly, that, that, that's one of the fruits of reproof. It germinates the word once it's been studied. Four, heeding reproof restores fellowship and communion with the Lord. Let me read a couple of verses, one of which you've known all your life probably, and the verse right before it that you probably haven't memorized. 
So point number four is heeding reproof restores fellowship and communion with our Lord. Look at Revelation 3, 19 and 20 and keep them together. 319, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. There, okay, so there's the reprove word, reproof, reprove. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, here's the part you know, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. So that part about Jesus knocking on our heart's door and coming in and wanting fellowship with us, that is right on the heels of, you, you listen when I bring reproof into your life. So the irony here, when you see these two verses together, it, it just eliminates this myth. I mean, reproof feels like anything but restoration of fellowship with our Lord. And yet, according to this text, heeding reproof is the only way fellowship with Jesus can be restored. So by dodging the pain or discomfort of reproof, by ignoring the Spirit when He brings it into our life through the Word, we might think we're avoiding spiritual upset when in fact the exact opposite is the case. The inner peace we experience by avoiding reproof is a deadly peace. So in these words from Jesus to the church, get this, heeding reproof is what opens the door of your heart to Jesus. Heeding reproof is what opens the door of your heart to Jesus. That's powerful. This isn't, I'm sorry, it's not predominantly a salvation verse. It's a hearing reproof verse to the church. Those words were written to the church. They have to do with a restoration of spiritual health, spiritual intimacy with Jesus. So remember, Remember God at the door of your life. Where do you want Jesus coming into your life right now? Where is his healing presence needed? And when you answer those questions, remember, reproof is how you open your heart. Five. Reproof paves the way for God's correction in our lives. This goes right back to our opening text for this series, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God. That's the instrument. It's profitable for, here's the process, teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Here's the goal. The man or woman of God might be competent, equipped for every good work. Next week, we'll start looking at that building block of correction in detail, because, because it's just logical that it comes right after reproof. Correction is the flip side of reproof. Reproof deals with exposing, confessing, bringing the negative into light. Correction deals with replacing it with the positive, with the godly, with the Christ-like. But, but correction won't set 
properly in my heart until reproof has done its proper work, given its time, given its place to bring a deep repentance into my soul. I can't just sing into this or worship into this. Reproof has to do its work before any kind of correction is going to be fruitful. It's, it's, Jesus has this in mind, doesn't he, when he says, blessed are those who mourn, they shall be comforted. Comfort follows the proper mourning of reproof. And that's why, by the way, you'll see this picture a few times repeated in the Old Testament where God calls on his people to, to sort of visibly act out. It would help them if they visibly acted out the kind of heart they were to carry inwardly when reproved by the Lord. The people were to actually put on sackcloth, smear ashes. It's, it's not just something weird or freaky, but there was to be nothing light or giddy when the Lord brought reproof to his people. Now, was God just trying to make them all miserable? Was he just trying to take all the joy out of their lives? Well, no, that's not it at all. But God did understand and wanted them to understand that we all tend to make too little of reproof and the heeding of reproof and the consequent repentance. So, so the lesson there is don't rush over this process. Here are these five life-giving benefits of reproof. Sin ought to make us feel bad. Very few people forsake sin, deeply forsake sin out of sheer duty. Well, I guess I have to give this up. You will experience far more victory over self and invite more of the presence of Jesus into your life as you learn to really heed reproof, as you linger over the damage sin does to your freedom, your joy, all of life, and even more important, how it mars the glory of the one who redeemed you by his blood. So like, like all good medicine, reproof, it kind of tastes bad going down, but it brings life into your soul and it... it opens the door and lets Jesus in in a fresh way. Turn at my reproof. Surely I will pour out my spirit upon you and I will make my words known to you. And you just can't do any better than that. Next week we'll look at correction. Let's pray. We're so thankful, Lord, for your complete plan in giving us the word, in promising the goal of heeding it, making us men and women of God, and then specifically outlining, here are the four steps. And tonight, deliver us from the mistaken understanding of a confused culture that thinks everything has to be positive to be good for us. And the way that even creeps into the church sometimes. And so at least, Lord, at least at Cedarview Community Church, we want to, we want to let 
reproof, when you bring it, we want to let reproof run deep into our hearts so that it sets the bones for teaching received that will truly create hearts that will bear the weight of all your divine purpose down the road for all of our hearts and lives. We love you. Bless your word to our heart. Let it bear fruit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to hear from Serge and Nancy Bersaglio. Always great to hear from them. Then we'll have our prayer time. God bless you, church. Love one another. See you Sunday.